Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today's episode of SFF Yeah! is sponsored in part by TBR, Tailored Book Recommendations. TBR is Book Riot's subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. Tired of wasting money on books you end up not loving? Let us help. Tell TBR about your reading preferences and what you're looking for, and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 75, and we are recording on March 20th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today we're going to talk about exciting new releases from the first few months of 2020 and probably do some flailing because (laughs) the world is a very strange place right now. Oh my goodness, is it ever. We are all, this is this morning, the morning we're actually recording is when I guess New York and California both got uh, under lockdown. Yeah. So I was like, I've been texting people because I'm, you know, from California and I have a bunch of friends over there. So I I am having a morning for sure. Yeah, Pennsylvania is pretty close. They suspended um, all non-life-saving businesses right now, which is a, it's, yeah, it's like a step up from non-essential and who knows what the next step is, but it's, you know, it's something. Although I will say that one of the beautiful um, sort of silver linings of self-isolation and quarantine is that we've been having company Zoom, you know, breaks. And our coworker, Hannah, who is like an actual armored combat, you know, competitor, taught us sword blocks. So I feel like we could not have had a better like lead in to recording a science fiction fantasy podcast than having been taught some sword blocks. I was so jazzed. I didn't realize how perfect it was until I was like, oh, we're about to record. But I'm like kind of pumped because I feel like I am a space warrior and Amanda had a lightsaber. (laughs) I know. I wish I had thought to dig my lightsaber out of my props bag in the closet. Next time. Next time. Next time. We're going to do this again. Yeah, for sure. Um, All right. So let's see. Let's do our first sponsor and then we'll get into some news what there is of it. Uh, So our first sponsor today is The Faceless Old Woman Who Secretly Lives in Your Home by Joseph Fink and Jeffrey Craner. This is like such weird timing for this, but that's okay. Um, This is the latest installment in the Welcome to Night Vale universe, and it is the story of the familiar and terrifying faceless old woman. And it's told in a series 
series of harrowing flashbacks that go back to early 19th century Europe, revealing the initially blissful and then tragic childhood on a Mediterranean estate of the faceless old woman. Um, Her rise in the criminal underworld, there's a nautical adventure, there's a revenge plot, there is her death and its aftermath, and her spirit traveling the world before settling in Night Vale. And interspersed is an eerie present-day story as the faceless old woman guides, haunts, and sabotages a man named Craig. In the end, her current dealings with Craig and her swashbuckling history come together in the most unexpected and horrifying way. I think during this moment of our lives, it's an interesting thing to complicate to contemplate a house haunting, right? Like that. Oh my goodness. It could goodness. be a welcome <laughs> distraction in certain ways, but also you're stuck in the house. So could go either way. Anyway, um, as you know, this is part of the Night Vale world, which is such a great podcast and now book series. And this is part Count of Monte Cristo, part The Haunting of Hill House, and 100% about a faceless old woman who secretly lives in your home. So again, that is The Faceless Old Woman Who Secretly Lives in Your Home by Joseph Fink and Jeffrey Craner from Harper Perennial. Thank you for sponsoring the show. I had a touch of insomnia after watching Parasite, so I'm probably going to stay. I'm going to try and uh, wait a while before I read that one. (laughs) Oh, gosh. I didn't. We watched Parasite maybe a week and a half ago, so it didn't even occur to me. But, oh, man. Yeah. I can't. It's just one of those. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, before I actually choose my first SFF Yeah uh, news story, I just wanted to let everybody know that as we have this COVID-19 outbreak going on. We're keeping up to date with what's going on in the bookish world, uh, including library news pieces about which libraries are closed and free access to digital catalogs around the web so that when you're sitting at home not knowing what to do with yourself, you have some resources. And there are a bunch of different news stories and they're being updated on a day-to-day basis. So we'll include a link in the show notes. I suspect that by the time the show airs, they will still be useful. So do check that out in the show notes if you're interested in following along with what's going on in the bookish world in response to COVID-19. Okay, that said... Uh, My first, I think that the first story I want to talk about is something nice, (laughs) Mm. which is that the Library of America is publishing the works of Octavia Butler, a favorite among us, and of course, I'm sure among our readers and listeners as well. So Octavia Butler is a prolific writer and her works are very important and they've proven to be very timely far beyond her years. So it makes sense that now the li- that Library of America is publishing a few volumes of Octavia Butler's work. And the purpose is kind of to bring them all under one umbrella because as you know, especially with older classics, they have all sorts of editions and uh, they want to kind of have it in one place and under a few volumes and I am not a book like a volume collector by any means my life and my reading life is a little too messy for that sort of thing even though I aspire to be one but this is definitely a collection I'm excited about and Nisi Shaw 
who I'm pretty sure we've talked about a few times on this show, is actually going to provide the intro to this Nisi Shal co-edited Strange Mating, Science Fiction, Feminism, African-American Voices, and Octavia Butler. Um, And I'm sure everybody knows a lot about her. She's written some amazing books. So I was really excited to see her name attached to it. And they say that the volume will include Butler's novels, Kindred and Fledgling, which are really popular, really great stories. And one of my personal favorites, uh, her short story collection, Blood Child and Other Stories, which was my introduction to Octavia Butler. So I have a lot of, you know, that's, that's deep in my heart. And so if you're trying to be a collector of Octavia Butler's work, and why not, I would definitely keep an eye out for these volumes. There are going to be four of them in total. And I can't wait to see how they look and to put them on my shelves. Extremely same. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I thought so. For sure. Very excited about that. Um, Let's see. Let's do two quick ones. Um, I want to give a shout out to an anthology that is working on getting kickstarted. It's called Puestes Pal Futuro. And it is a, their goal is to produce a bilingual illustrated anthology of um, Puerto Rican post-colonial speculative fiction. And it's a super ambitious project. It's um, from Fireside, which has done great things in publishing mm-hmm. short stories. And I'm going to leave a link in the show notes. Um, I know we're all in like a weird place right now in terms of where does our money go? And some of us have much less of it than we might have before. But if you're looking to, you know, put some dollars towards a cool project, this is a really fascinating and really ambitious idea. Um, And so we will leave a link to that in the show notes. Um, And then another thing in terms of keeping track of stuff right about now is that... uh, There are a lot of shows that I'm sure we're all, you know, marathoning to various degrees um, as we are stuck at home. But some of them have, of course, to halt production due to COVID-19 and uh, attempts to halt the spread of the virus. So uh, Tor.com actually has a list tracking which shows have halted production so that we're not sitting there waiting for more episodes to drop because it's going to be a little while. Um, so that's more of just like a reference thing that we will link to in the show notes. But if you were curious about uh, various shows, including, for example, The Wheel of Time, and the Lord of the Rings, those will not be coming to us early, which would have been lovely. But no, they will actually be coming to us later for for very good and real and obvious reasons. Uh, So we have a link to that in the show notes as well. So many things coming to a halt right now. Yeah. Um, But it is, as you said, for the best. Um, And on that note, speaking of shows, I have a couple of of news items about final seasons, both of them ending on season five, coincidentally. And that's The Magicians and 
She-Ra, the princess, and the princess of power. They're both ending. Noel Stevenson uh, was talking about, made the announcement about the end of She-Ra. And it sounds like that was the plan anyway, to have five episodes. So it's not like this thing where they're scrambling to wrap it up, which is a thing I'm always worried about with shows, especially now with the turnaround that seems to happen with some shows, but I've heard some great things about the series and I'm kind of glad that I now get to sort of marathon all of them at once because I am just that type of person with shows. I do not know how to be a person of yore who watched things episode by episode. So for anyone else who was waiting to watch this in full, the fifth and final season is airing on May 15th. I do not know. This was before all of this happened, but I yeah. think that this is all done. So I it sounds like this is actually still going to air May 15th. And then The Magicians, if anyone else has been following along with that series, is also going to have its season finale the season finale airs april 1st and it's going to be the series ender so two really popular really and like i i can't even believe that shira was originally airing in 2018 when i saw him when i saw the year i was like weren't we just talking about that and like looking at the poster and all mm-hmm. the teaser stuff but that was a while ago yeah <laughs> So I'm horrified. But also, um, I I think that it sounds like both of these shows were approaching their organic end. And keep an eye out for those and give them a watch if you love them. Yeah, Shira is actually on my list of shows that I am going to slot into my just need a break and distractions oh, slash yeah. also something to watch with a friend, you know, over FaceTime. Uh, that seems ideal idea. for that. So I am excited that I will have like a complete run for that. Um, So our last piece of news for today is also a nice one. It's about the Lambda Literary Award finalists. The Lambdas are awards that celebrate achievement in LGBTQ literature. um, And this year's awards celebrate uh, those published in 2019. And there are a bunch of great books on the list, including The Deep by River Solomon and David Diggs, William Hudson and Jonathan Snipes, which I loved and pretty sure I talked about it on the show. It's so great. And I'm so glad to see it getting recognition here. Um, There are a bunch of other great sci-fi fantasy books uh, in there. There was Wake Siren. There's Black Leopard and Red Wolf. There's a bunch of good stuff. So um, if you are looking for more queer stories, the Lambda Awards are always a great place to start. And uh, there are other, there is like actually a legit sci-fi fantasy horror category, but there are some SFF titles in other categories, including Carmen Maria Machado and Equica Emezi. So uh, we will have a link to that in the show notes. But yeah, I'm always psyched to see the Lambda Award finalists come through because they're such, they're like, there are always so many good books to pick from. That looks really, this list is amazing. Right? Yeah. This is fantastic. Yeah. Okay, very exciting. And I am going to talk about our next sponsor before we get into our key one picks. 
And our sponsor is The Midnight Lie by Marie Ritkowski with Fierce Reads. Where Nirim lives, crime abounds, a harsh tribunal rules, and society's pleasures are reserved for the high kith. You either follow the rules or pay a tithe and suffer the consequences. Nirim keeps her head down and a dangerous secret close to her chest. But then she encounters Sid, a rakish traveler from far away, who whispers rumors that the high kith possess magic. Sid tempts Nirim, Nirim to seek that magic for herself, but to do that, Nirim must surrender her old life. She must place her trust in this sly stranger who asks, above all, not to be trusted. This is a new story set in the same world as Marie Rakowski's New York Times bestselling Winners Trilogy, but you don't have to read the Winners Trilogy to get this book. It is its own thing, and it has references to a world you might be familiar with. So again, that was The Midnight Lie by Marie Rutkowski with Fierce Reads. Thank you for sponsoring today's episode. All right. Okay. So, so this is where we decided that we were going to pick some releases from the past quarter to highlight in particular. Mm-hmm. And mine ended up being sort of similar in a very specific way in that both of them tackle very timely social issues, but in these like very sort of a little bit wacky ways. <laughs> I don't know what other use, word to use for it. Um, <laughs> it's like they genuinely are kind of wacky. Uh, so my first pick is my like sort of science fictional pick. It's more speculative than anything else. It's Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu, who I've been reading for years. And I was super curious about this one when I saw it uh, coming down the pipe. And it... Did not disappoint, especially if you've read Charles Yu before, because he is always very meta. Like, his books always have some very, like, you know, multiple layers, often, like, involving the reader or the author, like, kind of peering out of the book at you elements to them. And this is absolutely no exception. The book is set in a world that is, like, a real functional world, but is also a like film set uh, uh the interior of Chinatown as you might guess from the title so like imagine a you know police procedural that's filming part of their episodes in Chinatown and the story takes place within that set that is also like a functioning Every day, people live there all the time and work their world. And the main character, Willis Wu, is, you know, sort of in the position that everybody's in is that he, you know, lives in this tiny room and works in the Golden Palace restaurant where this cop show is in just like forever production. Like it's just every day is another day on set. And he's a bit player and often gets cast in very like stereotyped roles because that is how that works in America. And he shares the same aspirations as everybody else, which is to graduate to being Kung Fu guy, like a featured extra who does all the cool Kung Fu. And, you know, that's how you you work your way up through the bit parts. And eventually you hope to get to that. But he's starting to question, like, is that really 
a good goal? Like, is that all of he wants out of life is to play this also very stereotyped role that gets more airtime, but like doesn't have any more freedom than like dishwasher or man on the street. Um, And so it's super fascinating in the way it digs into the stereotyping around Asian Americans and then also in film. Um, And he actually does end up getting into the spotlight and finds himself like finding out all of these other things and, you know, uh, his family, his parents' aspirations and his brother has disappeared and like what happened to his brother? And, you know, he falls in love and has a kid. And how does that change his relationship to this world that he lives in. And the whole thing is very scripty, which is kind of fun and moves really quickly. Like it moves you through the book really fast. And, you know, he's tackling so many things here. It's like, it's pop culture. It's prejudice within communities of color. It's what it means to be part of the model minority. It's how does assimilation work? And, you know, there's this big epic section that is like a courtroom drama that just Mm -hmm dives into the history of Asian Americans throughout U.S. history. And it is so intense, but it's also really funny and sly and just like a really fascinating play on narrative structure. It's really interesting, y'all. It's really interesting. And it really does read very, like, smoothly. And it has a big beating heart, just like everything else that Charles Yu has ever written. So it's like a hard book to sum up. It's a really odd book, but I think it's definitely worth a read. And the reviews are also really interesting, although I recommend you do not read the reviews until you've read the book um, for various reasons. But yeah, I just I blazed through it. I thought it was fascinating. He's such a good writer. So again, that's Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu. Ooh, I like a a story or a book that plays with format. Oh um, yeah, really yeah, interesting. His short story collection, "Sorry, Please, Thank You." Also, mm-hmm. every story in there is like a different kind of narrative structure, and they are fascinating. They're just mm-hmm. fascinating. Do recommend. Well, I'm sold, and. <laughs> My next pick, my science fiction also speculative pick is is kind of similar in that way. Um, this is a collection of speculative short stories with a titular science fiction story at its heart. So the collection is called Everyone on the Moon is Essential Personnel, and it's by Julian K. Jarbo. And I talked about some of my favorite reads from the first quarter in recent episodes, but I really wanted to highlight this book for a number of reasons. The first one is that it it has some really interesting stories, and I mean interesting on many levels. It's written very, very much for this time. So many of the conversations I come across on the daily, especially on social media, make an appearance on these pages. And the collection also comes from an indie publisher. I tend to get like in this hole of reading the same books from the same publisher, which I sometimes don't even notice. But <laughs> it's a thing that yeah, happens. Sure. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, I don't recognize this publisher. So I picked up the book and it's Leith Press, which publishes a lot of queer speculative fiction 
And I also don't always pick up books because of the blurb. I have a bit of blurb blindness. That was really hard to say, <laughs> uh, to be honest. But I saw that Daniel Mallory Orberg blurbed the cover and it lifted an eyebrow or two. So I kind of dove in, like not knowing anything about this author, this book, or even that it was a short story collection. Uh, but before you dive in, I should give some content warnings. There is dysmorphia, there's self-harm, there's fat shaming, and there's a lot of body horror here. And for instance, there's this story about portals where a young boy befriends a schoolmate dealing with grief as a result of 9-11. And meanwhile, the main character, AJ, is forced to sort of perform as a young girl and wear dresses because his mother won't accept that he's a boy. So there's a lot of rawness in general. And I was just talking about Riot Baby by Toshi Onyabuchi on the show and the explicit ways he confronted race and violence in that book and you know the use of slurs and things like that this has that similar rawness and it does use queer slurs so do note that this book um kind of cuts I guess mm. so <laughs> it also has that really experimental edge that I was just talking about most of the stories are very very short like just a couple of pages and there's even some poetry in the collection. There are stories about ancient beings and cities that submerge under the ocean and emerge from the sea. And there are body horror stories about um, cutting. So that's where the self-harm comes in as well as menstruation. And the titular story, Everyone on the Moon is Essential Personnel, takes up a big chunk of the collection. And it's set in what I believe is the near future. The moon's been colonized at this point, And this mega company, not unlike Amazon, is set up there and hiring. And they're hiring from this city where the main character is from. And we follow Sebastian, who's secreting deep romantic feelings for his friend Jonathan, but who's thinking his best chance is to take one of those jobs on the moon. And then through him... And also his sister, Lara, who gets fat shamed by their mom and is looking for a way out. She's very much like against the patriarchy, um, but gets in all sorts of arguments, really terrible arguments with her mother about every aspect of her life, basically. And then also through conversations between Sebastian, Jonathan, and their friend Kiro, who has a robotic arm with a Furby for a hand. I don't remember. I don't know if anybody remembers Furbies. Yeah. But there is toys. I have a Furbaka. I have a Furby <laughs> Chewbacca. I am not surprised. And I am laughing. <laughs> of course. Uh, yeah, so imagine using your Furbaka for a hand. I don't even know how that works. No. But it was really interesting. And so we get this picture of passed down trauma. That's this conversation that happens like directly between these friends and is also explored through the stories of these characters. And also there's this sense of longing for something else, like what was for some people, what could be for others. And there's 
definitely a conversation about class and capitalism happening here as well. And I just really love the sort of intimate world building this story set up. It takes place in a town called Stella Maris where there's this sort of mysticism and also Catholicism thrives. And I think Catholicism was a big part of this book and something the author was exploring based on an interview I read. And most of the action actually takes place in a karaoke club called Omens and Portens, which I thought was nice. fantastic, <laughs> as well as in uh, Sebastian and Laura's Pass. I thought it was just really refreshing to step outside of my box and discover this book for myself. And I think if you're looking for more books by trans authors, more books by indie presses, and more books that break from convention, whether it's form, storytelling, basically everything, you should definitely check out Everyone on the Moon is Essential Personnel. And again, that's by Julian K. Jarbo. All right, so my fantasy pick is The City We Became by N.K. Jemison, which obviously mm-hmm. we have all been hype about for <laughs> a while now since hearing that she was writing an urban fantasy. And the story that this came out of was in the uh, How Long Till Black Future Month collection. So if you've read that, you've already read the opening sort of I don't know if it's a prologue. I can't remember. But the first chapter is basically that story and then what happens next. And this comes with trigger warnings for sexual harassment and racism. Although I will say that this was actually a much less heavy on the page book than, for example, the Broken Earth trilogy. Mm -hmm. It's a super interesting change of pace for her. It does not feel at all like the Broken Earth trilogy in a lot of ways, which is fascinating. Um, And I don't think it should necessarily. It's just interesting to me that it is such a big switch. Um, Before I start talking about the book specifically, I do want to mention that uh, her tour had to get canceled because of COVID-19. And her publisher is moving those events to the internet. And there will be a big public book club event uh, moderated by yours truly. Um, and that's going to be on Saturday, March 28th at 7 p.m. via Crowdcast. And we'll have a link in the show notes. Um, yeah, I'm excited about that. <laughs> that's so exciting. I know. I Always wait. exciting to get to talk to N.K. Jemison. <laughs> so that was really lovely to have been asked to do that. Um, and I have a lot of thoughts, as you will see <laughs> momentarily. <laughs> um, but this is an urban fantasy about cities becoming self-aware at a certain point in their evolution and their history. And when New York becomes self-aware, its avatar has to fight off this great enemy who is trying to prevent the city from, you know, it's coming into its power. Um, And it seems like the avatar succeeds. But after, you know, the end of this battle, the avatar collapses And something has gone wrong. And so then each of the burrows like taps an avatar to awaken and embody that burrow. And they all have to like find each other and come together. And they're all being pursued by this great, horrible enemy. It's it's 100% Lovecraft. Like, it's literally referencing Lovecraft, (laughs) the enemy is. Um, 
and they have to find each other and like try to you know find the avatar of New York City as a whole and like figure out how to save the day and so there's like a little bit of sensate kind of thing going on like there's all of these people who are connected in mysterious ways and they have to find each other and figure out how they're connected and how do their powers work and the range of characters is so interesting there's like this um Lenape artist who's in her 60s and who becomes the Bronx and there's a newcomer a mixed race newcomer who becomes Manhattan and you know just like all of these fascinating characters who come together or don't actually um, no spoilers though uh, but things are very complicated super complicated and it is it feels very like Avengersy in certain ways also like it's very comic booky and one of the questions I actually have for Jemison is like when did she start writing Green Lantern? in relationship to when she was writing this book because I do feel like comics are a huge influence on the city we became. And I'm so curious, like, what chicken or the egg situation here. Um, so that's just a thought that I have <laughs> among many others. But it is, I missed, not going to lie, three stops on the subway on a day of meetings because I brought this book to be my train book. And it is so engrossing. Like, it sucks you in. And the action is so fast that so you're just, like, flipping pages and you're like, oh, crap, I have once again missed my stop. Which also felt like the most New York thing I've ever done. So there's that. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, yeah, I, like, kind of don't know what else to say about it because... You know, it's just really, it's really unexpected and different from her other work. And it's super interesting to me. Um, it is the first installment in a trilogy, for the record. And it definitely ends on, there is some solid resolution, but also a big old cliffhanger. So, you know, depending on your tolerance for that, uh, you may want to wait to pick it up. And I just can't wait for other people to have read this because I'm super curious to hear the different reader takes on it. I think there's a lot going on. I think everybody is going to have different feelings about it. And I can't wait to hear the discussion around it. Um, so, yeah, that's that's The City We Became by N.K. Jemison. Missing Stops is quite possibly one of the best endorsements for I, any book. Like I just... <laughs> I just could not believe it happened to me three times. Like, I, I was <laughs> tweeting this, uh, too, because I was just, like, so entertained, but also, like, kind of irate. And especially because at one, I, I was headed to a stop in Manhattan and, like, looked up and suddenly I was in Atlantic Center in Brooklyn. And I was like, WTF, like, how? <laughs> I'm a better subway rider than this. Like, what is happening to me? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm picturing this and I'm laughing with you oh it was it was something that is amazing so like just fair warning i mean nobody's riding the subway right now but you know if you're gonna pick it up don't be trying to do anything else at the same time I I will remember that. I haven't read it yet, but now I am going to race to that book because I have it on my shelf and I'm ready. So ready. Excellent. Okay, well my fantasy pick Put me back on my usual reading train with all the tour novellas. And this time I picked up The Empress of Salt and Fortune by Nevo. And I just 
absolutely adored this book. This is another one I knew nothing about when I picked it up and I was completely blown away. I hadn't read anything by Vo before. The book cover was gorgeous and the summary sounded really compelling. So the story follows a young cleric, Cleric Chi, on their way to the capital for the new empress's first dragon court. So Chi is accompanied by a feathered companion, which has an actual name associated with it, uh, an actual name for the mythical creature it is, but I could not find a pronunciation and I do not want to butcher it. So it's a bird basically. <laughs> and the bird speaks and its name is Almost Brilliant. And Almost Brilliant and Chi both are keepers of knowledge. So they're on their way to the capital. They stop at this house called Thriving Fortune and they meet an elderly woman who goes by the name of, or the nickname of Rabbit. And the story is one part Chi excavating artifacts of the previous lives lived in Thriving Fortune, this house by this magical sort of lake that has weird lighting and maybe has a monster in it, but it's never really explored, but it just sounded really cool. And also, Chi is cataloging these possessions, describing them in detail, recording them, basically. And then the other part of the story is Rabbit telling the tale of these possessions as she reacts to their unearthing. And Rabbit's story is the unfolding of this story about Inyo, who is the Empress of Salt and Fortune, who she served when the Empress was in court, sent down from the north to wed the Emperor, and then also when the Empress lived in Thriving Fortune. So the story felt a lot like a fable or a fairy tale or mythology. It was just amazing. It was about the long game and this powerful woman who wouldn't be disposed of. It's about rising up and the sacrifices and the bonds that come with that and about this sort of sisterhood between Rabbit and Inyo. And the story comes in pieces that are really beautifully woven together and you know that Rabbit is holding back right from the beginning and giving Chi the story in pieces and giving context to the story before she actually gets to the big reveal. So you're waiting for the reveal and in that time you're learning about Inyo's relationships with the women sent to serve her and about the friendships Rabbit makes and also the cruelty of this emperor and his lackeys. And so I just felt like the book contained this beautiful balance of tenderness and fierceness. There were so many layers to Inyo who, you know, she doesn't paint this predictable picture of an empress. She comes from a place where mammoths ride alongside warriors and in her new home, everyone has opinions about her from her appearance and her clothing to her unconventional interests. But only Rabbit really knows her and is sort of allowed into this intimate space Inyo creates for Rabbit. Um, and the friendship that flowers there is just, it's fantastic to read about. And then there's also this dynamic between Chi and Rabbit, which is also this tender sort of teacher-student relationship that has a lot of respect on both sides. 
So of all people to gift this story, Rabbit chooses Chi, and we learn about this young cleric's relationship with knowledge gathering. There were just a lot of beautiful passages, if you love really fantastic and lyrical prose. This is a really great one for that. And there's also a lot of beauty in this sort of dynastic place filled with ghosts and fortune tellers and really strange natural phenomena and spells that do things like freeze seasons. I just really can't wait to read more from Vaux. This was a really great introduction for me to Vaux's writing. And this book actually will hit the shelves the week this episode airs. So I recommend you pick up The Empress of Salt and Fortune. And again, that's by Nefo. Before we close, mm -hmm. I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Because I have found that I am actually reading less because my attention span is so shot. Um, and I was curious if you're finding that, you know, self-isolation and quarantine have changed your reading attention span. Yes. <laughs> um, I originally, like a lot of people I saw online, was like, well, you know what, I've got so many books, I'm just gonna like blow through a bunch of them. And what I actually ended up doing was marathoning a bunch of like shows I've already watched mm -hmm. <laughs> and that kind of happened unconsciously and I would think oh well you know I should pick up a book and of course I I just read The Empress of Salt and Fortune for this recording and that was kind of like once I got through with my assigned reading and I actually had time to read more I was like well I think I'll just sit here and watch, you know, Golden Girls. Or yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I was just like paralyzed. I just, I watched like almost, I'm on the last episode of The Witcher and like, I I think I'm thinking about a Star Trek rewatch because I just, there's something that, I mean, I think just the general anxiety is making it really hard to focus. Yeah, I agree. I should actually watch. Is The Witcher, are you finding that really engrossing and kind of... Okay, listen. Okay. <laughs> okay. Here's what I'm going to say about The Witcher. <laughs> oh so boy. a friend told me, she's the reason I watched it. Feliza, this is all your fault. And um, <laughs> I don't think she listens to this podcast, so it's fine. But she told me, she was like, listen, don't expect to understand anything. It's not going to make any sense. Just go with it. And I was hmm. like, all right. I mean, I'm, I am actually generally willing to do that. Um, I'm very willing to just like go along for the ride. But let me tell you, nothing in that show makes any sense. Even what? when they, because the, you're in like multiple timelines and it is super unclear for a very long time how they fit together. And then on top of it, like, I don't know. There's just some character motivations that I'm like, I don't understand why they would do that. Like, it just doesn't. It is so unclear to me why this person would do that thing on which the rest of this plot hinges. Like, I have issues. However, if you just want something that is escapist AF, like, that is what it is. It is gorier than I was expecting. So, like, FYI, there's a lot of gore. Um very, you know, sort of visceral gore in certain moments. Mm. Um, but it is, if you just want to, like, be out of your own head well, you can do that. 
That is really, this is the first I've heard that nothing makes sense. So I am glad you told me because I probably would have been grumping about yeah. it a lot. Like, I was so glad that that was, yeah. As long as like it is escapist, I suppose I could roll with that. I was thinking of watching a lot of bad horror, but oh well, I feel like Witcher is such a phenomenon that yeah. I sort of have to. I have to at least give it a try. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I think we'll wrap up there. Um, Thank you all for listening. We are sending you all of the good thoughts for whatever is going on around you. Um, We hope that you will share your own experiences, uh, whether they're, you know, watching recommendations or reading recommendations for science fiction and fantasy. Hit us up. Email us at sffyeah at bookriot.com. We will share those thoughts on the show. Um, You can also write us a review or uh, a rating on Apple Podcasts. We also super appreciate that it helps other fans to find the show and you can find us online in the meantime sharifa where are you i am on instagram you can find me at s zainab williams that's s-z-a-i-n-a-b williams and i'm on twitter as jen irl that's j-e-n-n-i-r-l or on instagram as i am jen irl and we will talk to you next time 